Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Sit back, settle in, get the seatbelt on. You are in store for one hour of fun here on this week's edition of The Front Row. How are you, Kevin? Am I in my Silverado? You are. My Hobson Silverado? You are. You are well played. On. I'm feeling good about today's show. Yeah, go ahead and, yeah, otherwise we'll hear Click. the annoying beep, beep, beep. We got a lot to talk about. Tremendous well, college basketball game. We got do spring football. Do you want to football. look back or do you want to look forward? Well, we can do or both. both. We're, we're going to do both uh, over the next hour. We're also going to have a really insightful conversation coming up about Jalen Ramsey and will he or won't he go first overall in the NFL draft. And for perspective on that, we're going to go to Nashville and find somebody who literally is boots on the ground for the Tennessean newspaper. So interesting perspective coming up on our next segment. Uh, but I don't know. You know, sometimes you get into this, and I used to do this for a living, Keith, and uh, not that it usually arrives in April. Jeff Cameron will tell you that uh, mid to late June through July. Looking for stuff. It can be it can be some tough times, but sometimes that starts earlier in April, May, depending on how the Seminole baseball team is doing. This is not one of those weeks because uh, – a lot of people are excited about spring football in Orlando. I thought the college basketball championship game the other night was tremendous. Fantastic. Much I, I needed. St- I, I mean, stayed up, watched the whole thing, as as many did. Although, Did you take it, a nap at halftime? I did not. I should have. Uh, I was dragging the next morning. But, uh, you know, it was on TBS as opposed to CBS, and they're already talking about the fact that the ratings were way down, and was that a good decision going cable versus broadcast over the air? So just like – the timing of the playoff games in the college football playoff day and time. Uh, there's a little backstory about whether they should move, have moved that to cable versus over the air, that type of thing. I'm sure that will come out in the, in the days or weeks to come, but the game itself, a classic. Yeah. Game was really good. Well, and that's a bigger discussion. When you look at it from an NCAA standpoint, sure. They want the higher ratings and that would be on the network. When you look at it from a network standpoint, they want higher ratings too. And if they think they can counter-program and put something else in there that's going to do better on CBS than what the college basketball game was because they're the ones paying the money, then they'll move it down to TBS and they'll they'll make good from there. Understood. The, the game uh, was really tremendous, though. It was, it was played at a high level. I was uh, certainly tremendous finish. I was pulling for Carolina which in some respects is sort of like rooting for the devil, I understand, if you're pulling for Carolina in basketball or Duke the excuse or, or, is, or one of the Blue Bloods. The excuse was we were pulling for the ACC. But uh, Villanova, I was going to feel bad for them if they didn't win at the end. That defensive effort that they had, uh, the fact that Carolina could not get the ball in the post to save their lives, uh, save their life, it really it felt to me like Villanova defensively was playing six on five. They were that good against Carolina. I, I've never seen on-ball pressure – work so well you know because i like everyone else was looking in there and the a boy i can't pronounce his last name would get on a switch and he'd be down there with bryce and bryce would be be begging for the ball and he'd be fronting him and you you're i'm just focused on the lane there's nobody around there's a big tall dude and there's a six foot dude (laughs) and they can't physically get the ball in because then you turn your attention to who's got the ball and there's somebody in his face. There's no lane. He can't go over the top. He can't bounce pass. He can't dribble away from him. The on-ball pressure was was a clinic for 40 minutes in that ball game. Yeah, it was really good. We'll, we'll, we can get some more reaction into that uh, 
in in a later segment. But uh, I thought it was good, high level, uh, great run for the ACC. And I don't, uh, you know, it's diminished marginally, maybe because North Carolina didn't win it. But I don't think it diminishes the overall depth and breadth of the ACC in the in the NCAA tournament. All right, this weekend we have the spring football game. Keith, you and I, fortunate enough that uh, we'll have a. I don't know if the the. TV boxes on the 50, but it'll be a good view of the field. And we'll have monitors. As as we do the ESPN3 broadcast. Yes, and we'll need the monitors because as we get older, our eyes uh, diminish themselves. Just had to go there, didn't you? uh, And we will talk about this with Tim Linnefelt from Seminoles.com in a little bit. What are you most interested in seeing this weekend? I know there's an obvious answer, but I won't. Well, the the obvious answer is, is Francois playing at the level we hear that he's playing? Is he making good decisions before the snap? Is he making the appropriate decisions after the snap? And is he delivering the ball where he's supposed to? Reports out is that he's made great strides, uh, that he has somewhat distanced himself from both J.J. and Malik. Uh, And uh, obviously with McGuire not being there, we don't have that comparison. But that'll be the primary thing, as will some 30,000 other people. The other thing I'm looking for is, is continuity on the offensive line. Can that offensive line show and demonstrate some improvement over what we saw last year? Well, we'll get some answers, uh, hopefully some clarity uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact. I'll remind you, by the way, portion of this program, as always, is sponsored by Madison Social. We talk about them always. They do a great job. They're right in College Town. Beautiful landscape, beautiful weather this time of year to, to head out, whether it's lunch, happy hour, brunch, whatever it is. But uh, this year, Madison Social is uh, taking its show on the road. There's going to be a spring game tailgate, and uh, they'll help raise funds for the Florida Juvenile Justice Foundation Inside Lot 7, it's 25 bucks. You get admission to the tailgate, plate of food from Four Rivers Smokehouse, two drinks from Madison Social Bartenders, and, and a donation, as I mentioned, to uh, FJJF. So all additional food and drink can be purchased. So if you're headed to Orlando, there's where you want to go. Good time. Lot 7. Can be had by all. All right. We'll get to the Jalen Ramsey conversation next. I'm on the record, Keith, saying that I don't think he goes number one, and I articulated why in previous shows. Yes or no, does he go first overall? I'm still 50-50. I'm not willing to say he won't. However, I'm recognizing, as all the stats are, that he'd be the first one since the merger as a defensive back Are you running for political office this year with that answer? It would appear so. Man, yes or no, first overall? 50-50. All right, we'll see if John Glennon from the Tennessean, who is the beat writer uh, for that newspaper and covers the Tennessee Titans, can shed some light on which way this will uh, fall for uh, Jalen Ramsey and Florida State fans. When we come back here on the front row. You are listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on the front row. Thanks so much uh, for tuning in, Tom and Keith, with you. And we're going to get into NFL draft conversation now. I know FSU's Pro Day was last week, and so on last week's show, we did discuss Jalen Ramsey's performance uh, ad nauseum. But uh, as we creep closer to the draft, uh, you see more and more press out there posing the question, is Jalen Ramsey going to go number one overall? And so we thought we'd go to somebody who's right in the middle of the fray, literally, and uh, we welcome John Glennon to the program. John is the beat writer for the Tennessean who covers uh, the Tennessee Titans, uh, also the Predators, I think, up in Nashville. John, thanks so much for taking a few minutes to join us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. 
You bet. And uh, I guess you're well-versed in this since you you did this uh, when the Titans had the number two pick last year. So you know what the pre-draft uh, hype uh, looks like. I guess as a starting point, and I've been following uh, the articles you've written this week, uh, one day, you know, will the Titans make history? You know, it's going to be Jalen the next day. The experts say it should be the, the tackle Tunsil from Ole Miss. As a starting point, are those the only two players in consideration for the Titans, or is that a wider group that they're considering right now? Uh, those appear to be, to, to me anyway, uh, those appear to me to be the, the two leading candidates. You know, they, they've also paid a lot of attention to uh, to Joey Bosta. You know, they were up there for, for Pro Day. Uh, you know, they, they met with him at the Combine. Uh, they had an individual uh, uh, workout with he and some of the other Ohio State guys. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's probably at least uh, in, in the mix, but you know, I, I think, you know, he played certainly mostly a, a, a 4-3 at, at Ohio State. The Titans are a 3-4 team. And, and even though he could, you know, probably make that switch to a stand-up uh, outside linebacker, you know, I, I, I don't think it's just a, a natural uh, fit for him to do that. So, to me, I, I'm thinking more it's, a, more it's a Tunsil Ramsey or trade at this point. John, with all the talk about the Titans taking one or the other and maybe not Boza, what's the percentage, what's the likelihood of a trade? And they give that pick up uh, to somebody that, that trades down to get who they want. Any any conversation, chatter along that line? Yeah, yeah, there is. And, you know, and, and it seems to be uh, certainly increasing too. And, and uh, you know, I, I think the Titans are, are certainly open to that kind of thing, you know. Uh, you know, even if they move down a little bit from from number one, you know, they still might end up with a with a Jalen Ramsey. You know, if it's in the top five, or or you know, a Ronnie Stanley, the tackle from from Notre Dame, if they move down a little further, you know, and and that way you you, you pick up a uh, an extra selection or, or two as well. So I think you know when you're uh, in the position of the Titans, you know, I've only had five wins the past few uh, couple of years combined. Uh, you know, there are enough holes that, that picking up added draft picks, especially early on, you know, is, is something that can't be discounted. So I, I certainly think that's still a uh, still a possibility. Given what you know, because you, you see them uh, every day, every season, in Tallahassee, we're biased because Jalen's from here. If they pick Jalen, how does he fit in? What does he bring to this Titan defense that they're missing? I think immediately, uh, I, I suspect he would be a cornerback. Um, you know, the, the Titans have a their starting safety coming back, who was solid last year, Denoris Searcy, and they just signed uh, a free, an experienced free safety, uh, Rashad Johnson, for a year. Now, when you when you look at cornerback, uh, their probably their best corner, Jason McCourty, uh, is is a good player, but he's also coming off two groin surgeries from last year. Um, their other starting corner probably is, is Parrish Cox at this point, who is, you know, uh, decent, but but had that uh, took some lumps as well. So, if I had to say at this point, I, I think his first position that he would learn would be a corner. But I suspect, you know, Dick LeBeau is a guy that loves certainly to, to mix personnel and, and give different looks to offenses and so forth. So I'm sure he would, uh, you know, play in, in the, uh, you know various spots from time to time. But I, I think. My guess, anyway, at this point, would be he would start at that corner. We're talking with John Glennon from the Tennessean, who covers the Tennessee Titans. Along those lines, John, if they took Jalen first overall, would it be because they see him as good enough as just a corner, or is it the versatility that would ultimately swing that pendulum and the chance that down the line they could use him in multiple spots that would 
you know, that is that would be the reason they'd take him at the top spot. I think that you know, I think the versatility certainly you know is, is a big selling point for uh, for Jalen, especially you know, as we said, you know, uh, Dick LeBeau is a guy who loves to, to kind of mix and match uh, you know various personnel all over the field. You know, and then, and then I mean, when you look at the the state of the uh, state of the game today in the NFL, you know, so many teams are uh, you know in, in nickel, uh, you know, much more than they are in base or or even you know in dime, uh, and and so you need a guy who can uh, move around to the various spots and, and fill different roles, and you know maybe cover a tight end at one point and cover a uh, you know a slot guy at a, at a different point and. You know, Jalen could certainly uh, you know fill those roles potentially for the for the Titans. So I, I think that's a that's a big selling point for him. And, and as we all know, the state of the game itself, you know, it, it's just going more more towards the passing game each each and every year. Um, so I think those are you know both both the need uh, in general uh, for for secondary help and and the fact that he can move around. I think are both good selling points for for Jalen. So as we talk on April 6th, roughly a month or a few weeks anyway until the NFL draft, who in your mind is the number one pick? If the draft was tonight, who would they take? Boy, yeah, certainly just a, a guess, and I'll probably flip-flop ten times in the next uh, three weeks. But uh, I might go with uh, with Mr. Ramsey at this point, and then not just because I'm talking to Tallahassee Radio either. I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of value there, and, and I think, uh, you know, when when you look at Tunsil also, as, as good as Tunsil is, is, you know, the Titans, I think, are, are pleased for the most part with, with uh, you know, Taylor Lewan at, at left tackle. And figure you can either get a, another quality tackle if you move down, if somebody gives you a chance to move down, or you can maybe get a, a right tackle, you know, maybe second, third round that, that you can plug in there, um, you know, to, to fill the line, to, to fill the hole on the offensive line. And you've got Jalen Ramsey ready to, uh, to, you know, to do a lot of uh, versatile work in the defensive secondary. So, uh, if I had to get to this moment, uh, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go Ramsey. And uh, if you call me back in two weeks, I'll probably have done a complete 180. But uh, you, you never know. John, how, how much difference this year? Or I'm going to use the term "fun." That may not be the correct term, but but last year, you know, if 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 Jameis goes to to the Bucks, the Titans are going to take Marcus. And if uh, the Bucks take Marcus, more than likely the Titans are going to take Jameis. So it was going to be a quarterback. This year, offense versus defense, uh, tackle versus defensive back. How how much more engaging is the conversation this year in terms of what your what your readership is telling you and what the Titan fans are expressing? Yeah, it, it became you know a fairly clear cut. You know, uh, probably in the month or two leading up to the draft last year, that it was going to be. Uh, you know, quarterback and, and likely uh, Marcus Mariota. So, yeah, there, there's a there's a uh, you know more spirited uh, debate this year in, in terms of the position. Um, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't hurt either that that Jalen Ramsey is a is a local uh, product as well. You know, he, he grew up in Smyrna, which is just probably twenty or thirty minutes south of Nashville, and, and of course went to high school in uh, in Nashville at Brentwood Academy. So there, there's obviously a a lot of support for uh, for Jalen Ramsey up here, but you know, I mean, there, there's certainly you could make a very good case for for Laramie Tunsil as well. You know, uh, Titans gave up the most sacks in the league last year. Marcus Mariota missed four games um, because of knee injuries, so you know, you can certainly make a a good case for Laramie Tunsil, who was a, you know an SEC product, so he's got the sort of the local uh, tie to that here as well. But so we're we're seeing a a pretty good back and forth. 
uh, and I'm sure it'll continue. Those uh, again, you know, uh, Joey Bosa comes into the discussion from time to time, but for the most part, it's it's uh, it's between those two guys. We'll let you go on this. A, a year removed from when they drafted Marcus Mariota, how pleased are the Titans right now with what Mariota has brought to the table and and what they see, you know, forthcoming from him? Yeah, they're they're very excited. You know, I mean, I, I think there were a lot of questions last year. You know, and I, I had plenty of questions too about how he was going to adjust to the to the program. Excuse me, the pro game after coming from a Oregon program that was you know spread oriented and and uh, you know not very similar to the NFL at all. You know, even taking snaps under center, you know, he did that very rarely at Oregon. So we thought there would be at least some significant transition time. But, you know, obviously got out of the gates great last year, throwing five touchdowns on, on opening day. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that there was not a wealth of talent around him and the wide receiver position was sort of shaky last year, I think, for the Titans as well. You know, put up, put up good numbers, a smart guy, uh, you know, does the right thing, says the right things. Uh, you know, and, and seem to, to continue to make steady progress. So I think if they can just keep the guy healthy, keep him, uh, you know, upright in the in the pocket, you know, I, I think they're very optimistic about uh, Marcus's future. Good perspective, John. We appreciate a, free, uh, a few minutes of your time. We'll call you the day after the draft on Friday, and, and we'll ask you again who the Titans are going to pick, okay? That's what I'll say. I called it the whole time. <laughs> John, thank you so much. All, All right, thank you, guys. John Glennon from the Tennessean who uh, covers the, the Tennessee Titans. That's good perspective and interesting. As of today, April 6th, and this is the guy who's there every day, he says the Titans would take Jalen Ramsey. That would be historic. Uh, and uh, not of, unprecedented, but it'd be pretty historic. And a lot of different storylines. You know, Tunsil's a, a Lake City kid. Uh, you know, Florida State thought they had an inroad into him, thought that he might be coming to Florida State. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about this with John, but uh, uh, Florida State also has a Tennessee connection, the Titan connection because uh, former Florida State coach George Henshaw, his son Matt, attended Brentwood, which is the same school that Jalen was at. He's a little older. But George coached for the Titans for a while in the NFL. So, you know, the six degrees of separation, as you and I always talk about, is somewhere down around three or four. Well, and then you have the Trey Marshall connection for Florida State. Exactly. And Trey was that. a high school teammate of Laramie Tunsil and a college teammate of Jalen Ramsey. Forgot about so that. Trey, yep. uh, unless Bosa comes off the board, Trey will have been a teammate with the first pick overall. And, you know, if Ramsey doesn't go first, uh, or Tunsil for that matter, I don't know that they go second. I think the Browns probably go quarterback. And if Jalen doesn't go first, I think he goes to the Chargers third. But who knows? Anyway, we'll, let, let's talk more about that when we come back. But uh, interesting to know that a guy who literally is boots on the ground in the Titans uh, complex on a regular basis thinks as of today Jalen Ramsey would be the pick. All right, more on the front row right after this. <laughs> Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And welcome back to the front row. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us next segment, and uh, we'll go hardcore into Florida State football. We're going to get there this segment as well, but let's let's continue with the reaction there to John Glennon's thought, understanding that there's a lot of time between now and the draft. So it, I, we put him on the spot 
what's going to happen? He says if the draft was today, the Titans would take Ramsey. I got the sense. That's from, his opinion. That's his, his opinion. opinion. I got the sense from the interview that I think what the Titans would like to do is trade down, which is what everybody at the top of the draft would like to do. They'd love to find somebody that wants to be, you know, play the role of Mike Ditka and give them everything so that they can trade down. At the end of the day, when you look at that, I feel like it's it's cost prohibitive for the teams to trade up unless it's a year where you're getting Andrew Luck. Well, I mean, I, I love Ramsey and Tunsil and, and maybe the other quarterbacks. Is anybody out there enough? It's sort of like political campaign season. By the time you get through looking into these guys, there's always a couple of negatives you find. I mean, are you willing to thing, mortgage the future to the get to number one? The thing I disagree with you is because of the way the salary scale is now, you're not mortgaging the future. You know, it's a $23, 25000000 million decision. It's not a 50 or $60 million decision. And I think the one thing that would change well, that, the one thing that would change thinking is if you worked out one of these other quarterbacks that maybe on the national framework isn't considered a top five pick, but you worked him out, you talked to his coaches, you know, you've done your background check, and you as an NFL squad believe that – Tom Block is much better than everybody's given him credit for. So you trade up to get that pick so you get Tom because he's your guy. The probability of that might be small, the possibility of that even smaller, but that would also be another reason that might be attractive to somebody that's picking 15 or 18 or 22. Well, I would agree that if somebody's going to trade up, it would be to get a quarterback. I don't think it's to get somebody else. In terms of the mortgaging the future, I'm not speaking to just what the salary is that goes with the top pick, though. If you're at 18, you're going to have to flip-flop your pick, and you might have to give up your second, third, and fourth as well to get to or an established player. So you're, you're mortgaging perhaps the good portion of this year's draft or future year's draft. Maybe you give up some number ones next year. I follow you, but, but yeah. And, and, then, and then the third part is if you're going with somebody, and there is not a quarterback that's perceived to be – Andrew Luck this year. I'm using Luck because even though at Florida State we all thought Winston was the guy, uh, that wasn't the consensus mainly because of his off-field challenges. I think anybody that followed Florida State as a guy who stood there on the field and watched Jameis play every one of his games was a no-doubter to me that he was going to translate. So I'm using Andrew Luck. Didn't have the baggage, if you will. There's not an Andrew Luck this year. So if you then trade up, however much that costs you to trade up, to get a quarterback that's, for lack of a better term, a relative unknown You've really you've got to be sure, and you've put a lot of pressure on that guy's back because now you, Keith Jones, as the number one pick that nobody expected to be the number one pick, are expected to produce like Andrew Luck. So that's a big gamble. Well, that's for a why team I say possibility, probability, very small. But you know, is there a Tom Brady? Is there is there someone out there that doesn't have the notoriety that you've worked out? Right. You've done your due diligence on, and you think fits in your system. I'm just suggesting that may be a reason you would consider pulling that. Yeah, then I can understand. And there might be a better, more legitimate reason that somebody in the top five would flip-flop because it wouldn't cost them as much if they're flipping the fourth pick for the first pick and then they throw in one other draft pick, something like that, to ensure that they get, uh, you know, Wentz, who's going to go to the Browns second. You mentioned Ditka and, and what he did. For those that forget, he traded every draft pick that year to draft Ricky Williams. Right. Every draft pick. They picked no more the rest of the draft. Well, there's that one and there's the Herschel Walker trade. You know, like, let's just trade an entire team to Dallas to let them stock the cupboard there. I mean, so those are the two that are brought out. So going back, assuming that trade doesn't happen. Which, by the way, interesting, both of those running backs 
and you don't even consider a running back in your top that, 10 That's a valid picks. point, yeah, and that's that's not that long that's ago. That's how that different were, this game is. Yeah, nowadays, yeah, we'll see. I mean, with Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Ezekiel Elliott out there, how high he goes, but you're right. Um that running backs are not not valued as much, and now we're evolving to the to defensive back world. But that that's interesting to me. I just I'm trying to wrap my uh, my head around thinking that Florida State could conceivably have the top pick in the draft two years in a row. I mean, I can't. Uh, and again, we we didn't dive deep into what would that would mean from a historical standpoint for that 2013 team, but just for recruiting alone and Jimbo to be able to. I mean, they already have a staff that has Brad Lawing on it who coached the first overall pick in, uh, you know, two years ago. And then Miami. Jimbo's coached two of them with Jamarcus and, and James. By the way, Jamarcus they get this was on, one, that would be three straight years, really, Jamarcus, this coaching staff Jamarcus has had the number one pick. campus last week. I don't yeah. know if you read that. He came and visited. Yeah. Here's the other aspect of it. How much does that put the final crown on that 2013 group? Because every position – from that 2013 group has been drafted now, right? And now you've got two first picks of the draft from that group because Jalen played as a freshman. I mean, isn't that one more final crown to how good that 2013 Well, it certainly will help the historical be? argument, and you, we need to get more removed from it and see how these guys do at the NFL level because when you look at the uh, the early 2000s Canes, uh, their reputation has improved as time has gone on when you've seen what Ed Reed has become. And so, interestingly, Mark Stoops was coaching those DBs down there exactly. then before he came to, to FSU. Uh, so time, as time's gone on, you've seen – but uh, if you look at that group and it turns out – you don't necessarily have to be a Hall of Famer, although maybe there is one in there. Maybe that's Jameis. Maybe it's Telvin Smith. I mean, but I think you have to produce a good number of 8 to 10 to 12-year NFL players like a Telvin. Kelvin Benjamin needs to – you know, improve some of the offensive linemen. Maybe Aguayo kicks in the league like Janikowski has for 20 years. You know, uh, Jalen James. It, it, it is a it, it's a remarkable conversation yep. to have. Yep. Speaking of that game, because we'll we'll finish up college basketball maybe, and we'll 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 get to FSU football with Tim Linnefeld. I was thinking the other night to lose to win a game the way Villanova did, slash lose the game like Carolina did. On the victorious side from a Florida State standpoint, it felt a lot like Jameis to Kelvin Benjamin to me. I know it was that wasn't the last play of the game, but I was going through my mind, and I couldn't come up with more that felt more, uh, you know, especially because Auburn had just taken the lead. In the game the other night, you had Carolina tying it on that crazy scissor kick shot. But then on the losing end of it, I was trying to think, what what's comparable to Florida State? And it, uh, for me, it resonated as wide right one. I know that wasn't the same stakes, but that's when Florida State was climbing the mountain, and that's what it felt like. I'm curious for you where you well, would put I'm, that. I'm going to go old school on you. I'm going real old school. I'll go back to the 81 Orange Bowl, a game that my last game, game I played in. If we had beaten Oklahoma, a game we lost 18-17, to because they scored a touchdown and then went for two. Mm-hmm. If that two-point play is not successful, there are a bunch of us that believe that would have been Florida State's first national championship Mm -hmm. because it would have been a split vote. Remember, Georgia was playing Notre Dame, which was not even in the top ten or barely in the top ten the year that Georgia won the national championship. If that two-point conversion is no good, a reverse kind of analogy, that might have been the first huge Florida State play on the football field to propel them. Just a thought. 
No, and that predates my time a little bit, but that's really good perspective on it. Another one that comes to mind from, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, and, and this gets talked about a lot, the lows are always lower than the highs are high. So when you do this exercise, it's easier, and I think it's human nature, to think back to the times that you had your heart ripped out than it is to think back to the moments of elation. So you can go through the missed kicks. The 97 game at Florida where FSU has the lead and Florida goes down the field and Quezzy Green and Fred Taylor. I mean, that's one of the most gut-wrenching defeats Florida State well, not only that, football that and fans endured. That wasn't one play. That was a series of plays. But I'm wondering if that's a similar feeling to how Carolina – I mean, I can't – I don't know. Now, Carolina, I mean, we know they've got five national titles overall. They'll be in the Sweet 16 from here to eternity and be in the Final Four every third year from here to eternity. So they're going to get their other chances. Uh, but, man, when they came back from 10 – to tie it, you really had to feel like if it went to overtime, Carolina was going to win that game. By the way, do you want me to get on that pet peeve that annoys you? Go ahead. Well, it's the, it's a game-winning shot. All right, If it were a baseball game, we would have said it's a walk-off. Well, it really wasn't a walk-off. Because it was a tie game. Because it was a tie game. He misses that shot. They go into overtime. Think about I how much more we'd be talking about this if they had been down by two or down by one. And, and and you miss that shot, you lose. You make that shot, you win. Well, I, yeah, I know we've had this conversation previously. I agree that the psychology is totally different on that. If Villanova takes the timeout and they're now down one, well, all of a sudden Whoa. everybody's a little tighter that in there to come down. That a lot different. Yeah, and, and maybe in that scenario you really focus on we got to get it inside, go to the hoop, so shoot for two. and it, we get fouled. We get fouled. Uh, so that does totally change the complex uh, or changes the context of that situation rather which therefore makes the shot that page made if if that extra shot isn't made how huge is that because they were down that's the that's the shot that get them to tie to get the opportunity to go into overtime the the bigger picture uh exercise to do on this and it's it's not fun everybody harps on like i mentioned wide right everybody harps on Jerry Thomas missed the kick, and not on all the other things that happened during the game that led to Put it you coming in that position. down. And so, clearly, the other night, and I thought about it at the time. I haven't seen a lot of uh, talk about it since, though. I did hear Tom and Jeff discuss it. The sequence at the end of the first half was a four-point swing. Correct. North Carolina gets the turn. If they just hold the ball, they lead by seven at the half instead of forcing it. If they make a shot. They lead by 9 or 10. Instead, they give it right back to Villanova, who hits gets momentum and, and cuts it to 5. That's one play at the halfway point of the game that was every bit as significant as the shot that was made at the end of the game. But years from now, uh, nobody's going to be watching one shining moment or great moments in tournament history and see the 15-foot pull-up jumper as the first half expired. But we're damn sure going to see the three-point shot at the, end of reg- at the end of the game. Welcome to human nature. We remember that which occurred last. And this is why it's one of the great differences, I think, between a fan's mind, uh, media's mind maybe, and a coach's mind. Because you and I were at football practice earlier this week, and when you hear coaches getting on players for things that seem non-significant, for the fact that uh, you you took one step six inches shy of where it should have been. You lined up on the hash instead of just inside the hash as a wide receiver. Perfect example is what happened at Georgia Tech last year. Everybody remembers the last play, the kick six, whatever it's called in lore. 
Uh, but if you look back deeper, if Travis Rudolph is not standing out of bounds when he catches that touchdown on the first drive of the game, that plays out differently. And that's why the coaches focus on the details. It's, it's it, amazing. It's, it's, it's painful, but that's what coaches do. That, that's why you practice. That's why they get paid the money. And that's why even in spring, when it's grueling, it's hot, there's not a game to be played, the great players – focus on those things and make themselves better really we're making Jimbo's argument here about process versus results which is what he was preaching when he first came in and nobody uh, externally I shouldn't say nobody externally it sort of fell on deaf ears people well, didn't want to hear about process was crazy. they wanted to see results well then a few years later that process turned into the results everybody wanted and now now people will subscribe to that theory more all right let's we'll, we'll get into the nitty-gritty with uh, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt next uh, not about the nitty-gritty of the process but but we will talk about some of the position battles and and what will be focused on this week when we're in orlando to, to call the spring game for espn3 yes sir good anything good. else no, you want to I'm, add to, I'm, I'm i'm happy as i could be to use your phrase period end of sentence next segment comes up right after this on the front row the sun, when it's in your face really shows your Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Time to talk some Florida State athletics with our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld, who will be in Orlando this weekend along with the Florida State football team and lots of Seminole supporters as we get set for the spring game. Tim, what time is the Seminoles.com Learjet making its way to Orlando for Saturday's festivities? Whenever it pleases. Of course. I, ask a dumb question, get get a smart answer. <laughs> I, that, that that stands to reason. Uh, we're still, still hammering out some plans. I think I actually uh, will be leaving early Saturday morning. I'd like to get out to uh, the plan to get out to the cows around Friday night and see uh, – see Louisville roll in for at least one game with, with Kyle Funkhauser and, and some of those other guys. So I'll be getting down there uh, early on Saturday. But I don't know that um, – I think the jet is actually in for repairs. So I have to travel like, uh, you know, on the roads like, like most people. Like a pedestrian. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll try to do our best to protect your reputation. Uh, we were going to talk primarily football, but since you mentioned baseball real quick – uh, do we have a good sense for what this FSU team is yet this year, or do we still need a couple more conference series? And and they've had two straight weekends of rainouts, so I know that's not pleasing them. Yeah, they can barely even get a game in, much less play and, and get a sense of what they are. And I know they were really frustrated over there. It's just not fun traveling up to Boston and sitting around in a hotel room all day waiting to figure out whether or not you can play. Uh, you know, I would still like to see uh, a little bit more. Uh, I think this weekend series with Louisville uh, should be pretty illuminating. But that said, we, we've seen enough to know, to, I think, to feel positive about them, right? You know, it, it, you, you want to see how they perform against Louisville. You, you'd love to see them come out and play well against Florida next week, although they did look a little bit better against them uh, in Jacksonville than they did in Gainesville. So uh, I think there's still questions to be answered. The, we were at least, you know, enough into the season that we can say, I think that maybe the uh, the projection for this team or trajectory of this team may be a little bit higher than, than you might have thought, or at least that I might have thought heading into the season. 
it's interesting in that the dynamic is different than what it used to be. I feel like there used to be concerns. Is the bullpen going to be good enough to get through the seventh and the eighth to get it to the closer? Now we're in this world of uh, are the starters going to be good enough to get it through Can the third, fourth, and fifth to get to the bullpen? But uh, well, we'll we'll save the more serious baseball conversations until we get past spring football because that uh, is on the menu this weekend, uh, three o'clock down in the Citrus Bowl. Quarterbacks uh, are going to get into this conversation, Tim's. But I'll start this way: other than the quarterback situation, what are you most interested in focusing on on Saturday? Other than the quarterbacks, okay. Well, I really would like to see, uh, sticking with the passing game, uh, are there any of those receivers that we aren't familiar with? What do they look like? You know, is it George Campbell, Auden Tate, Nyquan Murray probably won't participate. He's he's banged up. Uh, can is anybody not named Rudolph Whitfield or Wilson uh, come out and look like a player? I I really would like to see that. Uh, it's something that we wanted to to see all of last season and just never happened for one reason or another. So if any of those sophomores can come out and just look like a guy who could contribute this fall, I think that's a really, really positive development. Not taking anything away from, from the three veterans. Uh, I think that they're, they've become pretty steady players, but like Florida State has still looked for kind of the oversized game breaker, if you will, someone in the mold of, of maybe a Kelvin Benjamin. And certainly from a physical standpoint, uh, that could be Auden Tate, who I think is, is, even bigger in person than you think he is, just looking at his uh, his height and weight on the roster. One other aspect to the receivers, though, he's going to be inside, though, uh, Tim, as I think Izzo has really elevated himself at the tight end position. Your thoughts on him? Yeah, I really agree. I'm glad you brought him up. It's, it's interesting. You know, a year ago, there was sort of a, uh, a three-man race there between him, Maven Saunders, and, and uh, Jeremy Kerr. And, and now, yeah, it almost feels like, like Izzo is almost head and shoulders above those other guys. Uh, Kerr, of course, has been hurt, so it's not really fair to judge him. And, and Maven Saunders has kind of bounced between the receivers and the tight ends, so maybe they have a different plan with him. But, but if you look at it, Izzo physically, uh, he's just really, really impressive, and he's a guy that it almost doesn't strike you until you're out there on the practice field. I know we were out there the other day watching, and, and he looks like, when you think of sort of the, the prototype NFL tight end, and, and you know that position has evolved so much over the last few years to be a, a real weapon with the, the Gronkowski types out there. I'm not comparing Ryan Izzo to Rob Gronkowski, but when you look at him just physically, you say, hey, man, that guy looks like a guy who could play on Sundays. I can't wait to tweet after the fact that uh, Tim Linnefeld today compared Ryan Izzo to, to Gronkowski. He probably wouldn't mind that. Hey, uh, let's move to running backs. Uh, we know Dalvin's the guy there. Is, is Ryan Green uh, – what's the deal with Mario Pender long-term, and is Ryan Green actually going to factor into that, or is it just going to be Cook and Patrick, and that's really all we'll see as we get into the, the season? I, I think Cook and Patrick are a good place to start. Look, I don't think you move Ryan Green to running back if you're confident that you're going to get a lot out of Mario Pender. It's just that, that injury is just such a weird deal with, with the collapsed lung. Uh, he hasn't participated in spring practice. I, I've only seen him out there. He was out at the scrimmage wearing uh, a jersey, but he wasn't dressed out uh, last Saturday. But he just, he just hasn't been a factor. In, and the thing with Mario Pender, you, you hate to say it, when he's been on the field, he's been a really nice player, but he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. And, and, and you hate it for guys who are injured like that. But, you know, a collapsed lung is pretty serious stuff. And I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be, but... Uh, you, that's something you got to really. It sounds like get nailed down and, and make sure that you're over it before you start trying to get back into playing football. And you know who knows and when whether or not Florida State can wait on that. It, it's hard to say. But the fact that he hasn't been able to to play football in in several months, whether it be last season or this spring, and the fact that they've moved somebody else there to uh, to the run to the backfield, who's even wearing Mario Pender's number, 
uh, the number seven. It just it, it suggests to me that, that Ryan Green is going to get those opportunities, and if Mario Pender is, is one day able to work his way back to the fold, great. Uh, but until then, it sounds like Ryan Green is going to be the third man in the backfield. Well, and to be fair to Mario, it wasn't just the collapse long. It was the infection no. that ensued afterwards. People forget he was in the, he was in the hospital for two or three weeks. It was an extended period of time. Enough of that. Right tackle. Who are we going to see at right tackle? I think to start off with Brock Rubel. Uh, and then move on to, to Rick Leonard. Uh, are you talking about throughout the game or this fall? Uh, yes. Okay, well, I, I think it'll, it'll start with Brock Rubel. I do think Rick Leonard's going to get every opportunity to, uh, to to get a chance at that job, certainly be the second-team right tackle to start with. And I think you're know, probably going to rotate those guys. I wouldn't be surprised at all if both Rubel and Rick Leonard got some first-team reps on Saturday. I think they're they're probably pretty close together, to be honest with you. Well, and I would echo because uh, it was my first time being out there for practice earlier this week, and, and Leonard, he passes the eye test. I know that. Mm-hmm. No, he, he looks, uh, again, you know, not to keep harping on the same thing, but just, you know, he, he absolutely looks the part. You know, I will, I will be surprised. Uh, Derek Kelly, who, who was uh, a mainstay there before he got hurt last year, is still working his way back from a knee injury, so I won't be surprised if he ends up factoring in uh, this fall, but it's the same deal with the running backs, man. You know, it, it's, it's unfortunate for guys who can't participate in spring, but spring is a really important time for players to develop and, and take hold of of what's being taught to them, and, and it, it's hard to keep up if you're not able to practice. So, it's also where you uh, gain the confidence of your segment coach because he knows that he can trust you when fall exactly camp comes. Exactly right. Just, just, to, just to have you out there. You know, it, 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 you know through no, no fault of a player's and other players that, that he's not able to practice, but you can't make up those reps. Uh, along those lines, the center position, uh, there's been inconsistencies snapping the ball to the quarterback, and that sounds like a simple thing to do, but it's magnified right now because you've got new quarterbacks who, among the 400 things they need to worry about, uh, you know, catching the ball or, or getting a reasonable snap shouldn't be one of them. So is there any reason to be concerned there? And we need to worry about Jimbo having heart failure over it. <laughs> well, it certainly is. Fun, but that's one of those things that I think I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over. It, it, it's easy to forget, but it's still just April. There's plenty of time uh, between now and the season opener, and that's one of those things that you know, one way or another, I, I think will get worked out. And if nothing else, Florida State has plenty of options at the center position, and, and man, you got to think one of those guys is going to be able to nail down his snaps and, and, and maybe get a leg up on his competition if that's what it takes. Any, you know, I, I started by saying let's not talk about the quarterbacks, and I don't want to turn this into a 20-minute quarterback conversation, but is there anything regarding the quarterbacks that uh, we should be aware of as we go into this game? Gosh, man, if there is, uh, it's been kept awfully tight-lipped. and I really can't remember uh, a spring that, that has been played this close to the vest. Uh, Jimbo's been pretty reluctant to, to offer much insight really about anybody, but especially about the quarterbacks and Yask, and all he'll really say is that, and they're all making plays, and they all have way, a ways to go. I asked him specifically uh, the other day if any of the quarterbacks are, are standing out from a leadership perspective, and not, not even a leadership perspective, but the way that they command the huddle. Uh, he's always talked about that. Is, you know, when he looks at a quarterback, he wants to know who can get the other 10 guys to rally around him. That's, that's as important as anything he does with his arm or his leg. And so I asked him, was anybody making strides in that, that part of the game? He said, no, no, not really. I, that was one thing that I wasn't happy with. During Saturday's scrimmage, so it sounds like there's still a ways to go. Uh, this won't come as any surprise to you, but uh, I would not expect to have anything settled in Florida State's quarterback race this spring, and it certainly will go uh, well on into the fall. And one more negative comment, and then we'll go positive. 
am I the only one that finds it unusual that McGuire is still immobilized three months after surgery? It does seem odd. I, I don't know for sure. You know, we, we know that it was a, 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 I guess a broken ankle or a broken foot somewhere down there. I don't know the recovery time on that. I know that you know, we, when you've asked uh, Jimbo Fisher, he's been saying he, he expects to have him walking soon, expects to be out of the boot, and yet you know he's still there not putting any weight on it. So I, I, I couldn't tell you if he's in the, the normal amount of recovery time. You certainly would like to see him up and walking again. It's been you know almost three months or maybe a little more than three months since uh, the injury occurred, but but whether or not it's anything to be concerned about, I, I'm really not sure. Again, I would still say there's, there's still lots of time between now and September, and now in August as far as he's concerned. And if, if he can get out of that thing in the next few weeks and, and you know work his way back this summer, you'd like to think it wouldn't hinder him too much this fall. Well, based on the people that I've talked to quietly off the record, what little bit I've been able to observe, it appears to me that that uh, Francois has distanced himself a little bit, even if Jimbo won't acknowledge that. Uh, I ne- I didn't see any poor throws. The only thing I saw was Jimbo going irate on him when he threw it to the wrong guy or threw it to the wrong position, uh, you know, left shoulder versus right shoulder, that type of thing. W- what are you hearing uh, in the chatter about any distance with uh, Francois uh, elevating himself a little bit? That's pretty consistent, and I do think you see that uh, when you are able to watch practice. It's, it's usually DeAndre taking the first team reps or the first first team reps uh the guy working with the first team towards the end of the scrimmage not to say that they don't rotate uh jj cosentino and, and malik henry in there but it but it does appear that that deandre is getting more of the first team reps which is uh, uh you know it's a good thing you would hate to get through spring and not have made any type of determination or progress uh, on where you stand with those guys so uh, it's not a surprise to me I, I think you know if you look at it you've had a lot of things going for him this spring as far as you know, having a redshirt year uh, to, to separate from Malik Henry. And then, you know, he needed to, to try to surpass J.J. Cosentino, and we'll see whether or not he has done that uh, for good. But, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is uh, that they bring two different skill sets, and, and maybe it's the type of thing where it's a, a skill set that Jimbo likes better with this offense. Who knows? But, but at least for now, I, I agree that it does. But the wind sort of seems to be blowing that way, if you will. And how about this? We've talked this entire segment about the offense. Haven't even mentioned the defense. Are they that good? Uh, we'll see. I, I think the defensive line is going to be that good. I think the secondary is going to be that good. And I think the linebackers, uh, despite losing Terrence Smith and Reggie Northrup, uh, might be as deep as they've been in, in quite some time. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I expect a lot out of that defense. And, you know, the I think the key is just, you know, for, for Charles Kelly and Jimbo Fisher to – somehow convince them that they're not that good between now and September so that they uh, you know, can stay focused and, and keep working at it because they certainly have the talent. Well, and Matthew Thomas being back at linebacker, presuming that holds, is, is uh, good news. Uh, and Josh Brown has made some noise at linebacker as well. I'm curious at the defensive end spot, Tim. Uh, I know they're pleased with what Demarcus Walker is doing. And uh, Josh Sweat, I know they still want to see better consistency and consistent effort out of him. But when you move Rick Leonard out of that position to somewhere else and you move Chris Casher. Who are the guys behind them that they're that comfortable with that uh, you know they can move some guys around? It is kind of a weird deal, and I, I was surprised by that, especially with Casher uh, and, and Rick Leonard to an extent. Uh, I think he, you know the way that Florida State plays defense now uh, and and moves their linebackers down to, to become pass rushers, and we saw that first with Christian Jones a few years ago. I think it mitigates the the need for that a little bit. Uh, you see that with Jacob Pugh. I think could play outside and sort of be a pass rusher. 
the same with um, oh gosh uh, oh excuse me with with Matthew Thomas has played inside and outside can work as a pass rusher uh, and also even Derwin James moving down into the to the box and they have him rush the passer so the the way it works at the defensive end it's it's not as uh, it's it's not as much of a, uh, the way it was in the past I guess with uh, with you know with your rotating guys in and out yeah you you uh, you, you can move, move different players. You get pass rush from different areas, and they kind of you know have so many hybrid defensive end uh, positions that the the depth there is maybe isn't as much of a concern as you would think it would might be. Does that make sense? It does. It yeah. does. I was just curious, and certainly uh, you know I know they're very high on the two guys at at the top of that list. Tim, we'll let you get going. I know you got to pack your bags. Enjoy your limo ride to uh, Orlando to the game on Saturday. All right, folks. See you down there. All right, ER, Seminoles.com, Insider. Tim he's so Lenefeld. over it, he, he's not even going to respond to you. He understands. We do this to him every week. <laughs> you heard him guarantee that Ryan Izzo was going to be the next Rob Gronkowski, right? That That's how that story is going to come out now? It will when I, you, you know. You tweeted it already, didn't you? No, not yet. Not yet I haven't done that. But, Did you uh, know I, will. I knew that you could tweet? Plus, tonight on the show, hold on a second. You can tweet? I said I knew you could tweet. Oh, okay. I was going to say. When, when you – I've – I'm still. Tom Lang and I are going to do this to you. We haven't done it yet. One of us is going to create the faux Keith Jones Twitter handle and get out there with just kind of your daily old school tip of the day, and it'll be things like wear your socks to knee level and things like that. I'm sure Tom has some. My youngest daughter Taylor talks all the time about creating something that's Bill K Jones because my name's William Keith. She's going to create Bill K. Jones. Well, uh, maybe I should talk to her and we could we could co-create this. All right. I, th- I think we're done with this segment. It'll be an enjoyable game, and obviously we've still got more to go on this edition of the show, so stay with us here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple more minutes to close out this week's edition of the front row. It's a big weekend for Keith and I and for Florida State football fans. As we've talked about, we'll be in Orlando for the spring football game. Hope to catch you there as well. A lot of activities going on. The uh, FSU Athletics Department, Seminole Boosters, uh, the university as a whole, really taking the, the home weekend recipe and bringing it to Orlando with a concert on Friday night, a block party, a tailgate before the game. Well, for those of you that are staying in town, don't want to make the trip, uh, there's a couple of watch parties that are going on, not the least of which at Tallahassee Center, the station here, uh, 97.9 will be involved in. And uh, you can uh, you at least hear us, and to whatever degree we get on the air, you can see us. Uh, well, let's be a little more optimistic than that. Now, we'll be doing the ESPN3 broadcast, which, as you know, you can get on your uh, mobile device, your tablet, uh, your Apple TV at home. Uh, and and watch the broadcast. And and last time we did this, and we talked about this last week, Keith, there was a lot of interest, and this is the way I feel like spring practice goes. If there's a quarterback, not controversy, but question, people are interested in spring practice. If we know who the starting quarterback is, eh, we're not as interested really in finding out who the starting right tackle is. This year there's a quarterback question. And, people, and, and there may be a controversy at right tackle too. Yeah, there may be. Well, there's, <laughs> but people are interested in seeing DeAndre Francois. And Malik Henry, for that matter. I, you know, we saw Sean McGuire earlier this week, and he's still getting around on a scooter, and so still a lot of rehab ahead for him to get ready for fall camp. But I, that, that's where the eyes are going to be glued, and for those either in attendance or watching our broadcast, that, that's where we'll be focusing our attention. And again, if you're, if, again, if you're staying in town, you've got a big, huge 
uh, baseball series coming up with Louisville. Uh, there's a lot to do, a lot to be, and uh, places to be. And then Florida comes to town on uh, Tuesday night, Gator FSU baseball, and obviously that series unfortunately has shifted uh, in the balance of Hogtown here of late. But uh, I seem to recall a year ago at this time, Quincy Neoporti hit a walk-off in uh, in extras, and maybe we can uh, duplicate that again. And uh, Wouldn't hurt my feelings. No, I don't think it would hurt most of the feelings of, the, of our listeners here. So anyway, that's what's on the slate. I uh, hope you're enjoying this great uh, weather if you're in Tallahassee. We do this uh, each and every week from 6 to 7 on Wednesday nights right here. And so uh, spread the word. Keith, I'll see you in Orlando. Looking forward to it. All right, and we'll talk to you folks next week.